Good morning. This is the last week of the Fuel series, and I don't know how I managed to snag the most fun talk. Uh, actually, I, I do know my dad's uh, speaking at a family camp in Wisconsin, but um, I managed to get the talk on high performance. I'm really pumped up about that because uh, several years ago I got to study high performance engines in school, and so it's kind of something I've always been interested in. And so today we're going to be talking, and just kind of recapping the idea of this fuel series that we're in. We've been talking about the things that propel um, our vehicles, and then we, we've been making some comparisons with the things that propel us in life. Um, and some of the things that we've been using to propel our vehicles, we, we've been talking about the fact that we're all sort of aware of some of the shortcomings of those, those things. And, and, and we've been able to look at the fact that there could possibly be a better way. And then also, maybe it's possible that some of the things we've used to propel us in life have been you know, less than totally effective, and maybe there's a better way there as well. But before we get real deep into this, I just want to kind of set this up by saying whether you're a car person per se, or, or, or whether you're a, 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 a green person or, or environmentally friendly person or whatever, it's kind of irrelevant as to whether or not this will work for you this morning, because we're going to talk about something that we all want. And, and in fact, let, let me give you a definition of high performance, and you can evaluate whether this is something that you want in your life or not. High performance is, is doing something beyond your prepackaged capabilities, I mean, we all come uh, into this world with a, a, a sort of a set of, of, of skill sets or, or abilities, and at some level and at some point, we, we tend to feel the ceiling above our head that we, we've reached what we can reach with our abilities. And there's this kind of desire among all of us to sort of break past the barrier. And in fact, in, in our marriage, perhaps um, in, in marriages, you've, you've felt like, man, I, I feel like I've reached the barrier. The best husband I could be or the best wife I could be, it's not good enough. And I'm going to need to break past that barrier. Perhaps it's with parenting. Uh, I wish I could be a better parent. I feel like I've hit the ceiling. I feel like I need to, to reach past that a little bit. I need to break out of the boundaries. And I think at some level, we've all experienced some frustration. We, we try to make it happen. We try to reach past the boundaries. But at some level, it's just not clicking. It's not working. Um, and so instinctively, we sort of come up with this uh, idea, I think, that there must be a, a right way and a wrong way of, of going about high performance. And we've been talking about a, a friend of ours and a new springer throughout this series named Jonathan Goodwin. And if you're not familiar with his work, um, Jonathan is a, is a brilliant person who has figured out ways um, for us to uh, drive vehicles that were once, uh, at one point in time, very fuel inefficient vehicles and do it at a high performance level um, with incredible fuel economy. And we've been talking about his high-performance vehicles through this series, but I mean, I'm sure you're probably aware, high-performance is not something Jonathan Goodwin came up with. I mean, that's not, that's not a new concept. High-performance cars have been around for a long time. In fact, if you go to Jonathan's shop, you'll see a lot of really, really cool hot rods from a long time ago. Um, what's different and what's brilliant about Jonathan's work is that he goes about high-performance the right way. We all know, and, and, and those of you who, are, who have kind of a car background, you can, you can back me up on this, um, that high-performance technology has been around for a long time, but there's been a, a price tag associated with, with that technology. I mean, you keep putting turbochargers on that engine, you keep putting superchargers and charge it up with nitrous. Um, those are all great technologies. You can go faster and get more torque, but at the end of the day, there's a price tag. I mean, some of these vehicles, you start calculating um, how many gallons to the mile you get versus how many miles to the gallon you get. You know, it's great on the quarter mile or the drag strip, but it sits in your, par- in your uh, driveway 90% of the time because you don't have enough money to put gas in the tank to drive the thing. And, and, and you know, I, I began to think as I started you know, thinking about this talk about ways that we try to break, break past that ceiling, and the right ways and, and wrong ways. And I think one of the things that we tend to do, we sort of look inside, don't we, 
for whatever it's going to take to break past the barrier. We think somewhere down deep inside the molecules of what it's going to take um, to pull this out and, and break past the barrier. Somewhere it's got to be down deep inside. So maybe if I just reach down inside and pull myself up uh, by my bootstraps, you know, kick it in gear. Emerald will say, what, kick it up a notch. You know, maybe I can make that happen and break past the boundaries. Um, in fact, I, I was thinking about... Um, uh, we, a few months ago, we moved to, to Kansas, and I, I was, you know, um, thinking, well, this is a, a new ministry, a, a new state, a new house. I mean, it's, it's a big change in life. Perhaps this would be a pivotal point to go ahead and sign up for that gym membership. And, and you know, at, at, at the time, it sounded like a good idea, and so uh, I went ahead and signed up for the gym membership, and, I, and I, one of the first days that I went to the gym uh, you know, I was thinking, I'm not going to do anything too terribly hard. You know, I don't want to pace myself here. Um, and so I went upstairs to where the workout equipment was, and I thought, you know, I'm not even going to lift weights this, this morning. I'm just going to do something really easy. And I saw the treadmills um, in a line there, and I thought, you know, how hard can it be? It's a conveyor belt and a computer. I can handle that. Um, so I went and got on this treadmill, and 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 Next to me, on the treadmill to the side of me, uh, was this guy who was working out. And, and I began to make a series of mistakes. The first one was, I kind of sized this guy up. And, and he, he looked like he was in perhaps his mid-50s and uh, not terribly, you know, buff. And I thought, yeah, I think I could probably beat this guy in a race. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, but... But I'm, I'm just guessing here. And, and, so, and, and then I made the second mistake. And you're probably a nice person. I've never done anything like this. But uh, I, I sort of, being nosy, looked over at all the, the numbers on his instrumentation of his treadmill. And I thought, okay, I'm 28. This guy looks like he's about 55. If he can go this speed at this incline for 28 minutes, which is how, how long he'd been going, I ought to be able to go one speed faster, one incline higher, and do it for at least as long or longer. I mean, it's just basic logic, you know, at the workout facility. And, and so I go ahead and set the dials, and, and I start going. And, and about approximately 2 minutes and 48 seconds into this experience, <laughs> my body began to send some, some disconcerting messages to my brain. And, and, uh, and, and so... I began to have what I would like to term as kind of positive self-talk at this moment. I said, you're 28 years old and, 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 and functionally healthy besides talking to yourself. And you ought to be able to pull this out. I mean, you know, you've only been on this thing for two minutes, 45 seconds. I mean, this is embarrassing. You ought to be able to pull this out. And so I reached down deep inside and I started, you know, and actually for a minute there, I felt pretty good. I mean, I was, I was sweating like crazy and, and, and I'm sure looking a little strange, but I was actually you know, making some headway. And then about a minute later, um, my leg muscles sent a, a more sharply phrased message to my brain. Um, and it, it went something like this, we quit. <laughs> now I'm in kind of an, an uncomfortable position now because the legs have stopped, but the treadmill remains going. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so I, I, I was thinking, is, is there a graceful way that, that I can make it off of this, this machine. And, 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 and so what I decided to do, please don't ever do this. Um, don't try this at home. But uh, the treadmill was slow, sort of slowing down, and so I just sort of turned and allowed the treadmill to deposit me. You think I'm joking, but I'm not. 
on the end. And, and then I noticed, I noticed that as I walked away, my legs were doing weird things to me. And I was sort of doing a spasmic dance on my way out. I don't know if you've ever seen a 55-year-old man laugh really hard and run really hard at the same time. But that, that was kind of a first for me. But you know what I'm saying? We, we reach inside. We think somewhere down deep inside, I can pull this out. I can get past the limits. I can keep going. But as I learned on the treadmill, and, and, and as you can tell, I've never forgotten, um, it tends to be very temporary. It only lasts for a little bit. And then there's a kind of like a, an associated crash at the end of it. You can only do it for so long. And then when you get done, you're, you're done. See, it's, 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 a, it's a promise. The idea is I, I, can get a, I can get above the ceiling, but there's a price to be paid at the end. I thought, you know, sometimes we don't just look inside. Sometimes we look outside and around us. And, and in the car world, um, we, we make things up to make us go faster. You know, I mentioned superchargers and turbochargers and things of that nature. We, we, make, we manufacture something that's a retrofit on the car that will allow the car to go faster. Um, once again, there's a price to be paid. But I thought, you know, sometimes we look outside um, ourselves for high performance in life and, and, and on kind of a, 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 a kind of low level basis I was thinking about things that we, we try to use to get to break past the, the boundaries but have kind of a crash at the end and um, are y'all part of the ener- energy drink revolution uh, I worked at a place one time where uh, there were some salespeople that drank these kind of regularly um, and, 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 and I was very interested in it because they would drink these, and, I, and about a minute later, they'd be like, where's the next customer? Where's the next customer? I'm ready to sell them something. I'm ready for them to come on the floor. I'm going to sell them something. Blah, 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 blah. 20 minutes later, they're on the couch. <laughs> See, that's, that's the thing about breaking past the boundaries. You try to come up with something to sort of get past the limits. Um, it tends to be very temporary, and there tends to be a crash on, on the end of it. Um, this, this one's kind of funny. I'm going to make it a little more personal. Um, put, some, put some legs on this. Um, how about credit cards? Now, a credit card is an interesting thing. It's something you can use to break past the boundaries. You can get past what your limits are for right now. But see, it tends to be rather temporary, and eventually you have to pay the man. There's kind of an associated crash at the end of it. And so what I want you to think about is this. When we try to manufacture something to get us past the limits, when we try to have high performance in our life and do things beyond what we come prepackaged able to do, it tends to be a promise with a hidden price tag. And, 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 and let, me, let me illustrate this. Perhaps you know someone in your life who's struggling major league with addiction. That's what addiction is. Addiction is a promise with a hidden price tag. Okay, it, it promises to take you above the limits. Take you, you know, we talk, call it getting high. It takes you beyond where you would normally be for a temporary period of time, and then it leaves you crashed afterwards. It has a hidden price tag. You know, uh, you might be surprised, um, uh, but the idea of manufacturing high performance, coming up with something on your own to create high performance, is actually not a new concept been around for a very, very, very long time. In fact, if you're reading in the Old Testament in the Bible and you run across um, 
the, the words idolatry or, or worshiping idols or creating, you know, if, uh, if you're familiar with the Ten Commandments and you read the commandment that talks about you won't make a graven image or you won't make a form of a god, um, you might be wondering, uh, what is this all about and, and why is this an issue? Well, let me tell you, it sort of all boils down to this. What an idol is, an idol is a manufactured attempt at high performance. It just looked different then than it looks now. And so what, 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 what was happening with these people where they had a made-up God, a God that wasn't for real. He was a manufactured God. It was a retrofit to their life. And it was like, well, we've made up this God, and in fact, we're going to even make some like models of this God, and we're going to have them in our house and make shrines to him, and we'll worship the idol, and talk about the idol, and maybe we can break past the boundaries by, by bringing this manufactured item in. But see, the problem was it was a promise with a hidden price tag. I want to uh, read you a, a couple of verses out of Isaiah. And, and I want you to listen to how, how st- strongly phrased these verses are. This is what God thinks about manufactured high performance. Isaiah 44, starting in verse 10. Who but a fool would make his own God, an idol that cannot help him one bit. Skipping down to verse 19. The person who made the idol never stops to reflect why it, it's just a block of wood. I burned half of it for heat and used it to bake my bread and roast my meat. How can the rest of it be a god? Should I bow down to worship a piece of wood? The poor deluded fool feeds on ashes. Now now watch this. He trusts something that can't help him at all. Yet he cannot bring himself to ask, is this idol that I'm holding in my hand a lie? I'm not picking on credit cards this morning, but it's a real easy stage prop. It doesn't weigh very much, so I'm going to carry it around here with me. This is a piece of plastic. In fact, in fact, just, just to kind of take this to another level, this will never actually be a credit card. Now, this was sent to my house um, by a credit card company, and it says, your name here. Do you, do you get these? Now, this, this will never be an actual credit card. I will never be able to take this to the store and, and, and purchase anything with it. This is actually the credit card uh, company's way of sending me that promise we were talking about. comes in the mail that says, look what you could have. If you signed up with us, we would send you one of these. It would look just like this. Think of all the things you could have. Think of all the things you could buy. Don't you want one of these? And what God was saying is this guy who's making this idol, you know, back in Bible times, he's creating something just just like this piece of plastic. This guy creates a piece of of wood that he's using to to try to generate some sort of high performance. And and God is saying, uh, uh, through the prophet, he's saying, does this person not realize that this is just a piece of wood? He's putting trust in something that can't help him. There's people, and you probably know, they have put trust in credit cards, or they've put trust in an addiction, or they've put trust in a relationship. But the truth is, those things can't help them at all it's a promise with a hidden price tag he says is he he, he's not able to ask himself this person who's created this this manufactured high performance he cannot bring himself to ask is what i'm holding in my hand a lie and see that's that's where we find the the bible story that we're talking about um, today was God's people had sort of bought into this sort of promise with a price tag lifestyle. They were sort of on the fence when it came to um, who, who are we going to trust? Um, what about the God who has demonstrated himself to us would be the true God? Or perhaps it's this God Baal, which was the made up God of the time. And they sort of had this weird political climate um, where the people in charge were pushing them in the direction of this made up God. And, and I don't want to leave the realm of the genteel 
and we talked about this a few weeks ago, but this Baal God was so messed up. The, the, the religion that, that was based off of this made up God was so messed up, people were sacrificing their kids to this God. All sorts of sexual promiscuity were, were the, the, the base parts of the worship service for this God. It was messed up. But God's people were on the fence, didn't know. Do we trust God? I don't know. Do we trust this made-up God? I don't know. We're just, just going to sit in the middle. Do you know anybody like that? They know enough about God. They've got enough about God that they think maybe I should trust him. Maybe I should trust God. Makes some sense. I, I, I sense that God is true. I sense that God is real. Maybe I should trust him. But then I have stuff over here that it might be manufactured and, and it might be contrived. But, you know, it, it seems a lot easier to get high performance from these things. So I'm going to sort of sit on the fence. Well, there was one man of God at the time, just one, and, 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 and one prophet of God. And, and this man decided it was time to call out the difference between the fact and the fiction. And, and by the way, at some point in all of our lives, there has to come this pivotal moment where fact meets fiction, and you have to separate the truth from the lie. And that's what happened. And let me just, let me just give you the introduction that Elijah makes here. Uh, 1 Kings 18, verse 21, Elijah stood in front of them and said, how much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? He's saying, how much longer are you going to sit on the fence? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent because they're stuck in the middle. They're not really sure. And, and, and let me just give you in, in, in short terms um, what, what happened at this point. Um, Elijah says, I'm, I'm going to issue a challenge. Now, here's the deal. They had 450 prophets of this made-up God that were on the payroll of the king at the time, and, and, and just one of him. I mean, the, one of God's prophets, 450 of Baal's prophets, he says, time for a challenge. He says, here's what we're going to do. The Baal's prophets, you're going to make an altar and put some wood on it and put a bowl on it, cut up into pieces, uh, and then I'm going to um, create a, a stone altar with wood and, and a bowl. And then what's going to happen? We're going to, neither one of us set fire to, to these, these two uh, bulls. And then we're going to both pray to our gods that, that God would, would set the, the, the sacrifice on fire. And whoever, whichever God sends down fire on the sacrifice, then everybody will know that's the true God. And, and, and Elijah says to the people, is that fair enough? And the people said, sure. We'll, we'll trust whoever sends the fire down on the sacrifice. Let me just give you a little pretext, though. Um, well, actually, I'll tell you what. Let me, let me show you what the prophets of Baal did. 1 Kings 18, verse 26. Um, this is the prophets of Baal. They prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. And then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. By the way, this is what happens. You'll end up working yourself into a stupor, trying to chase down the high performance from something that's manufactured. <laughs> I mean, you really will do some crazy, stupid stuff because you're, talk, you're, try, you're trusting something that doesn't have anything on the back end, right? And so you try really, really hard, and that's what these prophets of Baal are doing. At some level, there was some sincerity involved, and they were really trying to get something generated here. But see, there's nothing on the other side. There's only one way to get somebody to answer you, and is that, that is if they're real. Um, verse 27. Now, by the way, Elijah's a bit of a poster. Um, in in this case, he's a little sarcastic, but he's trying to prove a very important point to the people. Verse 27, about noontime, Elijah began mocking them. This would be the prophets of Baal. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he is a god. Perhaps he is daydreaming um, or is relieving himself, or maybe he is away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be awakened. I mean, Elijah said, hey guys, I've got it. He's over here sitting, sitting on the sidelines watching all this brouhaha. And he says, guys, I've got it. Perhaps the guy did not hear his alarm clock this morning. 
You know, your God just is still asleep. So, so maybe if you yell a little louder. Or it could be, could, I'm just throwing this out there. It could be he went to Disney World. Um, it, maybe he's on vacation, and you know I hear that on those spinning teacups, it's very hard to hear anything. And so perhaps if you would just yell a little louder, your God would hear you. And the crazy thing is, they listen to him. 1 Kings 18, 28, so they, being the prophets of Baal, shouted louder and following their normal custom, and this is ugly, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still there was no sound, no reply, no response. At this point, it's Elijah's turn. I mean, it's evening time. These guys have been at it from morning to evening. Now it's Elijah's turn. But Elijah does something really crazy. Before, before he prays that God will set the sacrifice on fire, he has the people standing around dump 12 buckets of water on the bull. And now, now the bull is wet, the wood is wet, the stones are wet. Um, and Elijah digs a three-gallon trench around the base of that, of, of, of that altar, and the water fills up the trench. Now, I don't know a whole lot about starting fires. Charcoal uh, grills is not my specialty, but, but I do know um, that this would tend to make having a fire a little difficult. Um, but Elijah wants these people to know there is no contrived effort here. If this thing gets set on fire, it's God who's setting the thing on fire. And then let me read you what happens. 1 Kings 18, verse 36. At the usual time for offering, Uh, for offering the evening sacrifice. Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. And immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up, now watch this, burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Now now put yourself there for just a minute. All morning long, all day long, the prophets of Baal, jumping up and down, running around, dancing, praying, Baal, set fire to the sacrifice. Oh, Baal, set fire to the sacrifice. Nothing. I mean, they're acting all sorts of weird, cutting themselves with knives. Everything's just going crazy. And then when it's Elijah's turn, he walks up, the Bible tells us, and, and he prays to the Lord for the Lord to, to prove that he is who he is. A different kind of silence, right? Everybody's looking at it like, did you see that? Burned up the bull, the stone, the wood, the stones, the dust, licked up the water. Hey, this is the thing about true high performance, okay? The, and, 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 and let me just back up for a second and just say that what's so interesting about what Jonathan Goodwin has, has, has figured out working with these vehicles um, is that it's not what you can come up with to make the car go faster. It's what you tap into that makes the car more effective, it's not something that you manufacture, you come up with, and you retrofit it um, to, you, you know, you try to retrofit a piece of good technology to a piece of bad technology, and hopefully in, in the long run it'll all work out. It doesn't work that way. What he's figured out is that it's what you tap into that ends up giving you both sides. You get effectiveness and high performance. And so what Elijah was showing the people was, hey, I don't have to come up with anything. I don't have to manufacture anything. It's not about what I come up with. It's about what I'm tapped into. It's about God. It's not about anything I can come up with. But a lot of us, one of of the big issues we struggle with in life is that we spend a lot of life trying to come up with things, you know, manufacture things, but we're not really tapped into anything. 
So what's, what's really true about God's high performance? We can all pretty much agree that my high performance, no good. God's high performance is good. God's high performance is real high performance. So, so what is true about God's high performance? How, how would I recognize it if it showed up? And, and how can I, where, you know, where do I sign up? Um, well, well, one thing, and this could be a positive, it could be a negative, and, and, and we'll talk about both sides, is that it's never about you. It's always about efficiency. And, and see, this is something that a lot of times we, we, we don't really think this through a whole lot. Um, and that is that when God's power comes into a person's life, it is not to make that person extra special, do something to, to put that person on a pedestal. This was not the Elijah show. Okay, what, what was happening was God was using a person to fulfill his purpose. And when you see real high performance, when you really see it at work, what you will find is you're, you're dealing with a person that God is using to fulfill his purpose. And that person is along for the ride. Um, before we go any further into this, uh, I had the opportunity to, to talk with Jonathan uh, Goodwin when we were actually riding around in one of his uh, incredibly souped-up vehicles, talking about how high performance and efficiency go together, how you can't separate the two. So, so take a moment and watch this video. All right, so let me make an educated guess here, Jonathan. We're, we're riding in one of your vehicles that, that you've transformed from the inside out. And I'm going to guess, since you've designed this vehicle for fuel efficiency, right? This is designed for efficiency. That this is going to be just a dog on the road, right? I mean, this thing has got to have, like, severely high, you know, limits when it comes to performance, right? Actually, it's just the opposite. Uh, when I design vehicles to fix the problem, which typically is efficiency, um, one of the byproducts associated with that is uh, performance. The higher the horsepower, the more refined that we uh, control the fuel going to the engine. So it's all in refining the control of the fuel to the motor that creates the efficiency, which creates the performance as well. So you get you, you can't have your, your cake and eat it too, in the sense. You, you can have efficiency and performance as well. Absolutely, yeah. You know, this vehicle started stock at 10 miles to gallon, 350 horse. Now, with the transformation that we've done on the conversion package, uh, this vehicle actually right here is 650 horsepower, wow. 1,200 foot-pounds of torque, which is equivalent to a 1,200 horsepower gasoline engine, and gets 27 miles to a gallon. So when you, when you go to design a vehicle, um, efficiency then you would say is, is your primary goal, but then you just sort of get all the, all the effects of a really efficient vehicle along with it. Yeah, typically people come to me because they want to uh, increase their fuel economy uh, or they want to run a specific type of fuel, some type of environmentally friendly fuel. And uh, we, it usually ends up in a debate because when people look at my package, uh, to be able to get 27 miles to a gallon in an H2 Hummer, uh, you know, the package starts at a uh, 500 horsepower. And the first thing that they say is, well, well, I don't want the 500 horsepower. Can, can you reduce the horsepower to, to make it more efficient? I'm like, no. I said, that's the byproduct of making the vehicle efficient is this extra horsepower. Why not keep what you have, you know, the way that it is and just fix the problems or make it better? And that's what we focus on doing. 
By the way, I hope you get a chance to see uh, one of Jonathan's really cool vehicles out there on the front patio um, this morning. But one of the things I love about that is he said, these people call me up and they say, hey, could you back the horsepower off a little bit to make the fuel economy go even higher? And he says, no, it, it comes together. You know, here's the beauty of it. And that is you can have high performance without efficiency. You can, you can manufacture that. Okay, but if you tap into efficiency, you get high performance and you can't separate the two. That's what's so huge. And, and so we're talking about efficiency for God's purpose, efficiency for what it is that God wants to do. And, and, and here's where it gets, uh, you know, a little personal. And, and that is you may know somebody who's a very self-centric um, person. Everything is about them. And in fact, they feel like their family life should be about them and their marriage should be about them and their kids. Everything should revolve, everything in their life should revolve around them. Now, God's high performance is never going to fit well into that lifestyle because that person is trying to gear their life in efficiency towards themselves. But if you want to tap into God's high performance, you've got to tap into efficiency in his direction, in, in, in his purpose. But, but there's, there's a good flip side uh, as, as well with that whole idea, um, and that is, if it's true, if it really is true that, it, that it's not about you, then it is no longer about your, your resume. And see, a lot of us are evaluating when and where we will break through the ceiling of our limitations based off of our walking resume that we keep with us all the time. This is what I'm qualified to do. This is what I'm trained to do. This is what I'm capable of. And, and a lot of people will be very happy to define that resume for you. Um, your, your husband, your wife may be happy to write your resume and let you know exactly what it is that you are qualified to do and what you're not qualified to do. Um, your boss may write you a really uh, interesting life resume that says, this is all you're good for and you're not good for any of these other things. And you may feel like that is where the ceiling is, but if it's really not about you, then it's not really about your resume, is it? So, what, what, you know, I just was talking about the whole self-centric view of life. Well, here's the deal. God, and I hope you get this, God will skip over a pedigreed person who is self-centered and move on to a humble person who's willing to do what he asks them to do. And there's a lot of pedigreed, self-centered people out there. But God will pick somebody who he can display his power in because they're willing to not make it about themselves. And so what this means is that, that God sees you for your potential and not your right now. And, and let, me, let, me, let me give you a verse uh, uh, to hang, hang that thought on. 1 Chronicles 29, 12. And in fact, if you're someone who marks um, your Bible, you definitely want to mark this verse. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Now watch this. Power and might, that's high performance. Power and might are in your hand. And watch this. At your discretion, people are made great and given strength. See, that's the thing. People may have told you that you're a throwaway person, but what you're truly capable of is at God's discretion. Somebody may have told you that you're a weak person, um, but what you're actually capable of is at God's discretion. Your wife or your husband may have defined you and said, you'll never change. You'll never get any better. This is the way you always are, and it's never going to get any different. But the truth is, you have the ability to change because the only person who can define what your true capabilities are is God, and it's at his discretion. So maybe it would be wise to go into work tomorrow uh, and think about the fact that what I'm capable of doing today at work is not about my resume. What I'm capable of doing here at work is at God's discretion. That's huge. Um, but but, but let, let me give you this and, and then I'll be, I'll be finished. 
I don't know if you, you ask yourself questions as you read the Bible, but I'm, I'm, I'm a person who constantly asks questions in my mind. And one of the things I'm wondering is, obviously the idols thing was a big deal back then. Today, we have manufactured high performance. Uh, the, some of the ideas that I mentioned uh, are, are, are big today. Why do we even go there? Why do we even look for these things? Why do we even try to manufacture something like this? What, what's, what's the point? I think sometimes um, the, the easiest answer for that is we all recognize there's some part of us that's missing. Um, there was a, a movie uh, in the mid-90s that I, w- I would not um, highly recommend, but it generated uh, probably the most one-liners um, of any uh, movie to date. And at the end, this movie, the, the stars of the movie were Tom Cruise and Renee Zellweger. And at the end of the movie, you have sort of this estranged love relationship between these two people. And at the end of the movie, the Tom Cruise character looks across the room at the Renee Zellweger character and says, you complete me. Does, does, does that really happen? Do you, do you marry somebody and, and they complete you? Is, is, that, is that possible? Uh, you know, this might be a surprise, but you know Hollywood doesn't always get everything right. Yeah, on occasion, you know, they're a little off. And th- this is one of those areas because it turns out no other person can complete you. No material possession can complete you. Education can't complete you. It, you know, it doesn't matter if you have the nicest house in Wichita. That's not going to do it for you. If you drive the nicest vehicle, that's not going to do it for you. If you find the right person, the right relationship. Hey, I don't care if you got on eHarmony, you matched all however many... Um, categories there are. In fact, Neil Clark Warren's on the phone going, you got to go date this guy because it's perfect for you. It still doesn't matter. That person does not have the ability to complete you. There's a part of you that will be missing until you experience God's high performance in your life. That's why we reach above the ceiling. We know that we need that high performance. We know that we need something bigger than ourselves, and we reach for that. And, and, and so here's what, what the Bible has to say about that. And I'll give you this verse, and, and then we'll be, we'll be finished. Ephesians 3.19 and 20 says this. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Now watch this. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power. That's high performance. That comes from God. Ha ha, there it is. Remember we talked about efficiency and high performance. They travel in the same circles. What it is, it is completeness and power. When you tap into God, you will get completeness and power will come along for the ride. And now watch this. Remember, what did we define high performance as in the very beginning? We said it is um, doing something beyond your prepackaged capabilities. Uh, Look at verse 20. Now all glory to God who is able. This means he can through his mighty power, that's his high performance, at work within us to accomplish. This is what he can do infinitely more than we might ask or think. We think we know where the ceiling is, but when God actually shows up, he'll take us so far beyond the ceiling, we won't even be able, we'll backtrack and say, we wouldn't have been able to imagine at the time where, we, where God was going to take us because it, was, it wasn't even in our framework of thinking. I mean, here's the deal. All Elijah asked was that God would send fire down on the sacrifice, but God didn't just do that because when God showed up, he burned up the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and licked up all the water, and that's the thing. There are people in this room this morning that could tell you that God showed up in their life, and then where God took them, they had no frame of reference for, because that's what God does. His high performance will take you out of the realm of what you can imagine and put you to work so that you can accomplish his purpose. And that's what God wants for every person in this room this morning. Would you pray with me?
Father, we thank you so much for your love to us, that you would allow us to fulfill your purpose, that you would choose us, that you would give us your grace and allow us to reach beyond the limits of what we can imagine. Father, I pray that we would take your responsibility seriously in, in each one of our lives. If you would continue praying with me for just a moment. It, it's possible in a room this size that as I'm talking about God's high performance and, and how God completes our life, that you might be thinking, I don't really have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I, I, sent, I know that's what you're talking about, but I don't really have that. And I want to be a complete person. I want to experience that completeness. Well, the great news for you this, this morning is that God wants that too. God wants to be um, your savior. God wants to be in your life. And so I'm gonna pray a short prayer this morning and, and these, mag- these words are not magic words, um, but if you will say them in your heart, God will save you. I'm gonna pray it in snippets and you just pray this in your heart with me. Here we go. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for me. I know that I'm a sinner I know that I can't save myself. Come into my life. Take over my life. And forgive my sins. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me.